0: Turn with me if you'd like to read with Genesis, with me in Genesis 6, and we'll read verses 14 through 18. Genesis 6, verses 14 through 18, familiar passage of Scripture, I think you'll recognize. Genesis 6:14, we read, Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. This is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of it, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. The door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with the lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. Very familiar reference, of course, to the flood and to the ark, and to Noah and his family being delivered. And our subject from this text today is going to be Christ, the ark of salvation. Christ, the ark of salvation. Many people have heard, read, and rehearsed the stories of the ark, the flood, and things like that. It's in children's Sunday school book, and stories and all. But obviously, to both children and adults, it's more than a cute picture in some ways it obviously entails the judgment of god which is a horrific thing an unimaginable thing of world proportions universal proportions in that regard and yet it has the marvelous thing of deliverance by noah or by god of noah and his family now to we who believe obviously as i have tried to teach over the years and throughout my ministry we look when we open the Bible for Christ because Christ is the object of the Bible and the message of the Bible is grace and it is the grace of God that shows us the object, Christ. So when we read about the flood, the destruction, the deliverance, the salvation, all of this so clearly pictured, we as believers should see Christ in that. Christ can be seen from Genesis to Revelation. Again, God has not hid him in obscure places in the Bible. He stands forth on the pages of the Bible. And we want to try to set forth to you today in this message, Christ as he is seen in the ark, which was an ark of salvation. Christ is seen in types, picture forms, prophecies, so vividly before he ever humanly appeared in the Gospels to be seen by human flesh. We would emphasize something we said in Sunday school today. Blessed are you if you have eyes to see Christ. I've seen him in places I never thought I'd see him after God saved me, haven't you? We continue to see him in places where we thought perhaps he wasn't. But as God continues to reveal and give us understanding, the thing we continue to see is again twofold, the message of grace and the person of Christ, which are inseparable. This stands out uniquely in a chronological way of Christ being seen in the ark, because remember the progression of revelation, of redemption in the Old Testament was obscure at the beginning and very slow. But God continued to reveal and add as time went on. And up until this time, there had only been, what, uh, 1,500 years about has lapsed since creation till the flood occurred. Where have we seen Christ before in these previous five chapters of Genesis. Well, of course, we were introduced to him in Genesis 3 in the fall, weren't we? With the prophecy that the seed of the woman would bring forth the Savior that would save mankind and bruise the serpent's head. We saw a beautiful picture of Christ when it says that God didn't say killed animals, but it implies it when it says, He made Adam and Eve coats of skins of animals, didn't He? Very importantly there, one of the first pictures in that sense that we see of Christ because we see, first of all, a third party between God and man, now a third party being introduced in in what will be the plan of redemption. That third party had no sin of its own. It was an animal. Yet that third party, the animal, died. Blood was shed in order that those who had sinned may be covered atonement. So a very vivid picture there when we read of the coats and skins to cover Adam and Eve. We see also a picture of redemption in the sacrifices of the first two sons. Of Adam and Eve don't we remember the offerings that they brought Cain's was insufficient it was not a blood offering but Abel's sacrifice was one out of the flock again it followed the pattern the Lord had instituted for Adam and Eve an animal died blood was shed that animal was offered substitution again just like in the coats of skins So there's a picture of Christ in Abel's sacrifice, a failure in Cain's sacrifice to properly tip-fly what would save. I don't know if there's anything with Enoch who walked with God in that respect, you know, uh, that we could really say was Christ, except, of course, nobody walked with God like the Son of God did. However, Enoch walked with God, he was still a sinner and needed salvation by the grace of God. However, of course, the Son of God needed no salvation of his own, but he walked with God more closely than anybody ever could because he did not have that barrier or hindrance of sin. And of course, the unique thing about Enoch, God just translated him or took him. So he does not have that similarity with Christ because Christ wasn't translated. Christ died humanly. But the walking with God again could be something we would see there as a type of Christ. But then we come to the ark and as clearly as we can see in the coats of skin and Abel's sacrifice the ark really embellishes the picture of salvation because it shows us that in the ark itself was the only salvation The only hope that anybody had when God's judgment comes. So it's a beautiful, wonderful picture of redemption. Has many revealing details, many of which you've probably heard and know, but we'll try to bring them to your attention again today. Now in this, don't forget the fact that when we talk about pictures and types and so forth, that we can see Christ not only in things, but in persons. And I don't have time to go into this, but of course, Noah is a type of Christ also. Many characteristics, things said about Noah that were certainly true to a greater degree with Christ. But we're going to focus on the ark, not on Noah, but I do want to mention that. Of course, Moses would come later on. Moses a type of Christ. Joseph was a type, all kinds of individuals we can see types of Christ in persons as well as in things. So just didn't want to leave those out. And and in, by way of enhancing this, think about in the Exodus journey then how redemption comes into full view. I mean, in Exodus, we have the Passover. You know, there's the blood again coming out of Egypt. And then we see the wonderful things that show Christ in the pillar of the cloud, you know, uh, and in the... Uh, The pillar of the cloud, the pillar of fire and the cloud, the manna from heaven, the water out of the rock. I mean, you see how it just grows. But at this point, the ark, we've only had about three things that preceded this that really spoke to any degree about the obscurity of the redemptive plan. But the ark certainly helps us out. So let's consider that today. Now, when we think about this, And the flood, I've thought about it a lot, I'm sure you probably have too. Anybody that's ever seen a flood, knows how a flood happens and sees the effects of a flood, can use their imagination to some degree to try to recreate this as the Bible says it in our minds, can't we? The problem is we're limited in scope. (laughs) We've never seen one this big. We've never seen one of this magnitude with this type of devastation. And I certainly believe it was universal because universal judgment here, universal death here is what fits the redemptive plan in that respect. But think about all of it however you want to, as big as you can. And yet we're still lacking, aren't we? But really, when we recreate it, are we not painting a picture? We are, aren't we? When you create something in your mind, you're painting a picture of this in your mind. And I'd like to just point something out that when you do this, we naturally are thinking about, okay, a lot of water, right? A lot of water, a lot of death, a lot of carnage, a lot of stink, a lot of mud, a lot of all kinds of horrific things. Water rushing in a lot of places till it all levels out and all kinds of that stuff. But when you get done with all of that, then what goes on in front of that that's the focal point of the whole thing? The art. (laughs) I mean, the art just, there it is, it's out there. No matter where, the flood, the devastation, the death, the water, the thing that stands out in all of that, there's the ark. Not submerged in the water, but on top of the water. And the only life there is left is in that ark. So again, I love that because I believe with all my heart that's what we see when we look for Christ in the Bible. He, you don't have to look very hard. If you have to look very hard to find Christ on the pages of your Bible, you might want to examine your heart. It might be your seeing, not the evidence, because the evidence is clearly there. I think people could have seen the ark and the flood pretty clearly in that respect. So we're going to focus on Christ just as easily seen as the ark was in the midst of the flood. So the ark of salvation which we usually refer to as Noah's Ark, but of course, uh, you know, it really wasn't Noah's. It was Noah's in the sense Noah was on. It's kind of like saying Jacob's Ladder. You know, I've preached on that. It really wasn't Jacob's Ladder. It was God's Ladder, you know. And this was God's Ark because it was God's, and we're going to get into that, it was God's way of preserving those whom he chose to preserve. But let's start from the very get-and-go, shall we? First of all, in Christ being the ark of salvation and the ark in the flood preserving Noah, this was all God's purpose. Okay, it'll start, everything starts with purpose, doesn't it? And it starts with God's purpose, God's sovereign purpose. It was God's purpose to save. And what do I mean by that? I mean that God was not obligated to save. Not in the same sense God was obligated to judge. Now God's holiness, God's being demands automatically, by default, if you'll allow me to use that word, a judgment on sin. God can't be God and not judge sin. God is obligated to judge sin just because of who he is. On the other hand, God is not obligated to show mercy. Mercy is the exception from what is deserved, is it not? So first of all, God purposed to save, purposed for there to be an ark, purpose for there to be a deliverance, a salvation of some kind, or there wouldn't have been any. If everything had taken a logical course, God would have just destroyed everybody. And He could have. I say that hypothetically because, again, we know God does everything perfect the first time, right? But God is sovereign. He could do that. God could have destroyed it all and started all over again if He had wanted to. He could have, but that was not the plan of redemption. So God, first of all, purposed voluntarily of His own to save... Noah and his family, those who were righteous. This makes me think of a scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 11 and verse 33. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I mean, we can't dive into the purposes of God. God. Because it's wisdom that is so superior to anything we've ever seen, heard, or thought about it, if it would all put together. We, we don't even scratch the surface. But God in infinite wisdom does all things. And God in infinite wisdom purposed at this point in time, after a mere 1,500 years and what, about seven generations of people have passed to destroy and judge sin. And yet at the same time, He purposed to provide... Deliverance and salvation in a vessel called an ark for those of Noah and his family who were the only righteous in that day. So the purpose is all God's in that respect. Likewise, same thing is true. The purpose of God saving sinners through His Son, Jesus Christ, that's all God's idea. That's not a plan B. That's always been God's plan, to reveal and manifest His wisdom, His mercy, His grace. In the midst of destruction, sin, and judgment, we have that ark, that hope, that life that God has chose to preserve. Now, just as it was God's purpose, it was God's plan. Plan and purpose is not the same thing purpose is is deciding you're going to do something. The plan is how you're going to do something. So it was God's plan to judge the world and preserve a remnant and he chose to do this by water and an ark. He could have done it by fire. The Bible says one day he's going to do it by fire, but The fire didn't precede the water. The water preceded the fire. This was God's plan. Again, how unsearchable are His ways? We don't know why and the ifs and the hows, and there's no need to set in criticism because it's already perfect. But God's plan was that He would bring a flood, something that had never happened before. Part of bringing this flood would be rain, never been seen before. God's going to introduce rain God's going to bring a flood that man knows nothing about, never seen, never experienced, doesn't know the ramifications of it. God just says it's going to happen. That's God's plan of doing it. And in order to deliver Noah and his family, something else. We're going to have a ship, which we might say, which again would have been something introduced foreign to that time. I don't doubt men didn't have boats, but nobody had a vessel like this that could withstand... A universal flood. So again, we stand in awe of God's plan, not just His purpose, but His plan of what He's going to do. Likewise, the plan of redemption is beyond human comprehension. I mean, no man could come up with is not ...capable of coming up with and writing and recording in a book the plan we have in this book about God redeeming, purposing to redeem, planning to redeem, and then the way He planned to redeem, and then executing that plan. That's why the Bible is a book of all books. It's the Word of God. It's God's revelation of the plan of redemption. Don't ever think the Bible is just the history of the world, number one. No, it's not. It's God's plan of redemption that includes history. But always put redemption first because that's what the Bible's all about. The Bible can't be about grace in Christ and not be about redemption. That's the two fundamental things of redemption. Christ is the Redeemer and we're redeemed by grace through faith in Him. So, again, God's plan... So the ark stands out as an emblem of God's mercy upon a world that was universally judged by sin. God's plan. God's means then. Well God's means was obviously the ark as he told Noah to build, but God didn't just give him the ark already built, did he? It involved human means, didn't he? What, what would our text say? Build thee an ark of gopher wood. Human means involved in this. What if Noah had built the ark? You know, all kinds of what ifs, right? But Noah was obedient to the means. And again, God had already revealed, Genesis three fifteen, how he was going to redeem mankind, right? Through what? The seed of the woman. The offspring of the woman. The woman would bear a child. That would be the, as we sang the song a moment ago, redeemer of mankind. So again, build thee an ark. That's what's going to save you. We see that revelation playing out. The human instrumentality how God would redeem sinners. Noah built an ark. God is going to send forth his son. Right? A virgin shall conceive. Christ didn't just step off the throne and into this world a man did he? No. He came by the normal human means. Just like if you're going to have a boat, somebody's going to have to build it. God's going to send his son. He's going to send him into this world the same way you and I come into this world. That he would be like unto his brethren and just like us. Except without sin, right? Human instrumentality. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. There were no holes in the ark. There was nothing lacking in what Christ would do when he came. As surely as the ark preserved Noah and his family, Christ will redeem his people and he's doing just that very thing. So human instrumentality, virgin born, became incarnate. Just like Noah had to spend a hundred years building the ark in that sense. We would include here the human instrumentality that God's pleased to use in saving centers. We've been talking about this in Sunday school also. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Right? The preaching of what? The grace of God through the person of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to save them that believe. And then we talk about God's timetable. The Bible tells us that Uh, In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, this is a God-glorifying statement, obviously, when we read this. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 says... Which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now draw your attention to the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Noah obviously couldn't build something overnight. We couldn't build this overnight with our technology today. We might do it faster than Noah did, but... But again, there's a time element involved. And likewise with God's timetable. hundred years for Noah to build the ark, several thousand years before the seed of the woman would be brought forth. And I bring this up because, again, God's long-suffering is why God tolerates sin without judging sin. Before he does. God's long-suffering way. I don't know how God put up with it. Except again, it just deals with an attribute of God that's beyond my comprehension. When you read what's said in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 6, it makes me want to destroy the world. You know, I mean, because we have an attitude about sin so repulsive. And we destroy ourselves in it knowing we're deserving of it, right? And yet God was able to wait. A hundred years for Noah to build the ark. And God's timetable about bringing forth his son was likewise true. God progressively revealed things. He revealed he would come. He revealed later on when he would come, how he would come, where he would come. And all this just progressed on just like the ark. There'd be some days, I suppose, just like any building project, if you'd have went by and watched it and tried to see Noah's progress, you'd have looked at it and thought, well, he didn't do much yesterday. I don't see any changes. Well, maybe he was working on the inside, the outside. You'd have to go inside to see it. But Noah was making progress all the time until the thing was completed. And then what do we read about all these prophecies and God working the people, the time, the place, the circumstances, the politics, the economics, and everything else to the time when He would send forth His Son. I like the way Galatians says it. Paul says it in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive... The adoption of sons. Everything has its climatic, predetermined time. As it was with the ark, more so was it with Christ. God put up with sinners till the ark was ready to save Noah and his family. God put up with me, put up with you, and didn't kill us off or let us die or punish us or judge us. Until he saved us in an appointed time. How beautiful. How beautiful. And even now, God is long suffering toward those who are rebellious, sinful, God haters, etc., etc., as he was with me and you. all. Oh, aren't we thankful for God's long suffering? Draw your attention also to the specifics of the ark. You know, the God of the Bible is a God of specifics, details. I love that because I like those things too. It gives an exactness, a firmness, an invincibleness to things when they're exact and not casual. And nobody is more exact than God. Even though man tries to make God at random, God's never in random, he doesn't operate at random, and he's not going to start operating at random. He told Moses to build the ark to certain dimensions, which corresponds roughly to a football field and a half, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and about 45 feet high, three stories, and he told him what to make it out of. If you really want to get into the details, of course, think about the tabernacle, I mean, every, to us today, every nail and every screw and the way it was put together, God had every detail, right? I mean, God is a God of details. And we appreciate that because our salvation depends upon all those details being executed exactly like God determined But But he handed Noah a blueprint, didn't he? And it was God's blueprint and Noah followed that blueprint. And I believe it was 450 feet. I believe it. I believe it was 75 wide at the widest point, probably. And I believe it was 45 feet high, and I believe it had three stories, and I believe the window was where God said it, and the door was where God said it. None of this would have worked if it hadn't been like God said it should be. He is the final inspector in that respect. So, likewise, nothing was left to chance when it comes to the plan of redemption. Christ had not been born to anybody, anywhere, at any time. No. God worked all that out in the specifics, and we stand in awe of that, don't we? I mean, when we look at the birth of Christ and and the circumstances and Herod trying to kill everybody and killing all the children and the fleeing to Egypt and the prophecy, I'll call my son out of Egypt and, and the various ways that it was communicated to Joseph, all those things. I mean, God worked out every detail. Christ couldn't be destroyed before he died on the cross. They tried to take him before in his personal ministry. Nothing could happen to him until he finished the work of redemption. The ark served its purpose. Christ served his purpose. He came into the world to die. We see Christ clearly in the ark and in the aspects of the specifics of the ark. Think of this. This is easy, isn't it? This is very elementary. It had one door and one window. How do you apply that to redemption? What did Christ say in John 10 and verse 7? I am the door of the sheep. What did he say in John 14 and 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Right? One window. Very interestingly, it says here in chapter, uh, let's see, is it uh, 7, 16? Let me find it here. In verse, uh, when it says in our text, let me find it again, verse 16 of our text says, A window shalt thou make in the ark. Over in the 8th chapter, in verse 6, we read, And it came to pass the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Those are two different words. The latter one is a window as we know it. Translates window. The one in verse 16 of our text refers to noon or the light of noon. So we really don't know about this, the details of the mystery of this one opening, except that it was an opening that could be opened as Noah opened it, and that it was an opening, one opening for light. John 8 and 12, Christ said, I'm the light of the world. Christ is the only light of the world. And you might think about, you know, if you're in an ark and there's only one door and it's shut and it doesn't have any window panes in it and there's only one window, what kind of light is there going to be in there? You're going to have to have some light, aren't there? I, I just, in my mind and what I've learned in the scripture, I just think, okay, that, that's, that's a dark place of bondage almost in there. I mean you're just sealed up in there and yet there's one opening where light is. it's not the side, it's in the top. And what's up top heaven? I mean the light of God, the hope up there. <laughs> Christ saying I'm the light of the world I think it speaks for itself in that regard. So Christ is the door, Christ is the light of the world. And there's no other window. And there's no other door. It says that the ark was pitched within and pitched without. Again, we don't know exactly what. It could have been pine rosin for all we know. so It could have been some type of tar or something. No need to even speculate. Bottom line is it was sealed. It was a watertight vessel. Okay? Couldn't have a leaky ship over this period of time but the whole idea of this I read pitched within, pitched without think again, this this is a this is a watertight vessel and I use the word watertight in the sense that so is our redemption there's no flaws in it this is not some creaky old hull thrown together, our redemption is not that God's worked out every detail The blood of Christ was all sufficient to atone. Nothing lacking. You know, if this thing had had water coming here, water coming there, and all, then again, it would have been a very poor picture of our salvation, would it? Because there would have been the possibility that those leaks could have got bigger and this thing could have sunk and on and on. No. I think of the atonement when I read this. Pitched within, pitched without. It kept the water out there and kept us dry in here. Didn't it? Served a purpose, being out there, being in here. And likewise, so does the redemption that we have in Christ and His blood. It put away our sins out there, and guess what it did to us in here? You know? In fact, Ephesians says it, 1.13. uh, I like this idea of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Personally, I'm going to make that application. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, they weren't sealed from the water till they got in the ark, were they? <laughs> I mean, we're not sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise till we believe in Christ by faith. Then we're sealed. I mean, what has been done has been sealed. It can't be undone. It is done in that respect. We read about the flood waters coming upon the ark, and it sat there for a while, but then what happened to it? Up it comes. It's lifted up on top of the waters, wasn't it? Initially, he may not have been a foot off the ground, then maybe 10 feet, and then maybe 20 feet. We don't know how high it may have been, but again, lifted up is the idea, right? And even in two verses before John three sixteen, Christ said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he will draw sinners or draw men unto him, all the elect in that respect. So again, the ark was lifted up where? Between heaven and earth. What A beautiful picture of our Lord, right? Lifted up on a pole like that serpent in the wilderness between heaven and earth. He didn't suffer literally on the earth. He was between heaven and earth. What's the significance of that? Well, what was he doing? He was interceding. He was mediating. He was a substitute. Where was he at? Between God and... In the heavens, man who is of the earth. I mean, the picture speaks for itself, does it not? The ark was lifted, so was our Lord upon Calvary's cross. And what happened there? The ark is lifted up. There's rain, there's water, the fountains of the deep. There's got to be turbulence. This is not a calm little rain, I don't believe, for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you? I mean... Gushing water from the earth's core, floods of waters from above. It falls on the earth, it accumulates, it goes rushing here, rushing there, until the whole thing eventually all levels out, covering everything. Quite a turbulent situation for quite a time. Again, as we consider that and all this going on, we said Christ was lifted up, what took place on the cross? Most people walked by and saw a man die. Just like the one on either side of him. Just like men were dying outside of Jerusalem all the time on crosses because Romans were crucifying people all the time. That's all some people saw. But there was a lot more going on, wasn't there? Not just the darkness, not just the earthquake, not just the rending of the veil of the temple, but Isaiah prophesied that when Christ went to that cross he would go there as a substitute for the penalty of the sins of his people. And that on that cross he would have to endure the wrath of God for their sins. Let's read it in Isaiah. get Get the full picture here and comprehend this. This is the greatest thing that happened on the cross. Not what people saw but what was going on between the Father, and the Son. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely He hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet did we esteem Him. Here it is. This is what was going on. Stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Down to verse 12. We read... Not 12, I'm sorry. 10... Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When he hath made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. God the Father poured out judgment upon God the Son for those for whom stead he was in. That's what was going on just like that ark, had to endure the wrath of God's judgment upon the earth by means of the flood and the water. That's what's going on on the cross. Christ bore it. That's why we don't have to bear it. We're as safe as Noah and his family were because Christ bore that on our behalf as our substitute. You think about that? Noah and his family, while all of that's raging outside, death, destruction of a proportion we can't comprehend, and yet those within were perfectly safe. And the bottom line is, when it was all said and done, everything on the outside died. The only thing living was the stuff on and the persons on the inside. I don't think there's a more... Vivid picture or definition of what it means in Scripture in the New Testament when it says, those that be in Christ. In Christ. That's like being in the ark. I, I, I don't think there's anything in Scripture I know of that's more vivid or meaningful to define what it means to be in Christ. Well, it'd been like being in the flood to be in the ark. If you'd have had your own fishing boat and been in it, let me, let me tell you what, you might have lasted for a little while, but mm-mm. the only life that was preserved was what was in the ark. And the only ones that will survive the judgment of God is those that are in Christ. Meaning He bore your sins on the tree. John's Gospel chapter 10 again, verse 29. My. Speaking of the sheep, I give unto them eternal life. Verse 28, They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. There was no way that ark could sink. There was no way Noah and his family could drown or perish inside the ark. That all took place outside. There was a period of time when the waters... Where upon the earth, the rain had ceased, the fountains had ceased. And again, think of this. The only living breathing was inside. Everything outside was dead in that regard, wasn't it? Life within, death without. Hope within, hopelessness without. I think of this, I have to think of this, because... It seems like it just is a picture of the time, the three days, three nights, Christ was in the tomb. He was dead. He was buried in the tomb. He said he would come out. Who believed he would? Who was expecting him to? The disciples were discouraged. They thought it was all over with. They thought the hope they'd had, now it was hopeless, you know? well let me put it in this perspective it's one thing to survive the flood but then what everything's dead <laughs> where do you start when everything's been destroyed you say there has to be a starting again and that, that didn't happen until the waters abated off of off of the earth did it so this is a very dark period in a sense yeah it's no longer raining but the floodwaters cover the earth. I don't know how, how no of them could imagine what that was going to be like. And you, but I think there's a marvelous picture of this. That again, just as Christ came out of the tomb, the floodwaters finally abated. And what happened then? There was new life. Remember that dove that finally came back with an olive leaf? And then the dove didn't come back at all. I mean, what a beautiful picture of what baptism stands for. We are what? Buried with Him in baptism and resurrected unto what? The newness of life. I mean, there has to be the death if there's going to be the newness of life. There had to be a destroying of the old world if there was going to be a new world for no one. I just think that's a beautiful picture to me. All right, got to hurry. But finally... When it was all said and done and over with the ark came to rest the Bible says on Mount Arap wherever that is. And it don't matter to me where it's at. They've been looking but I don't it don't matter. They don't matter if they found the whole thing intact. Wouldn't change anybody. It wouldn't increase my faith would it yours? I don't need the ark. I don't need a door pin a latch a hinge. I don't need to see any of it. I believe what God did. I believe he's going to do it again, but not by water. You know, if you have real faith, you don't need that kind of evidence. But let them look. Let them look. But it came to rest on rat. I think there's something significant about that. The ark had served its purpose, hadn't it? Christ, when he finished the work, as he said, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And he put an exclamation point with that on the cross when he said what? It's finished. It's finished. And what's the prophecy of Psalm 2 of God the Father? Set thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. He's now at the right hand. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many and now he resides at a place of rest at the Father's right hand. The work of redemption was finished 2,000 years ago by one man. There's nothing to add to it and there's nothing can be taken from it. It's done. It's like the ark. it served its purpose. We don't need another ark. We don't need another cross. We don't need another plan of redemption because Christ executed it perfectly. And now he's at the right hand of God. I love this. The Bible says over there, I ain't got time to trace this all out and read it. You can read it in the ensuing chapters in the book of Genesis. I think it's chapter 9 verse 1 probably it says and God remembered Noah and those with him in the ark <laughs> that's beautiful to me who were these people they're the ones that God saved if God saved you God hadn't forgot you God knows you better than you know yourself and when the day of judgment comes God's going to remember you you're not going to show up and he's going to say who are you no, he knows exactly who you are. Your name is in the book of life. Your name on the palm of his hand. Your name in his grasp. I love that. that. Isn't that beautiful? And God remembered no. What kind of a statement is that? Well, it's a statement of assurance for you and me. That those whom God redeems are special to him and God remembered him. And there was a coming out of the ark, wasn't there? remember God shut the door God had to open the door I believe and that fits everything about redemption the parable of the ten virgins those that are in are in and those that are without the door is shut you're either in you're either out you can't have your hand in the crack of the door God remembered it they came out of the ark just like Christ came out of the grave and I can't imagine what that was like either. Can you? What would it have been like? We've seen heavy rains. We've seen floods and things and, and what? But boy, the newness of life that follows. Waterfall, right? I mean, new, fresh, springtime. What have you? Wow. The Bible says Noah sacrificed unto God. When he got off the boat and his feet hit the ground, he had taken, according to God's instruction, extra animals, birds, make sacrifice. He made sacrifice unto God. When God saves us and we're baptized into a newness of life, that, it's like coming out of an ark. We've been delivered. We've been saved. The price has been paid. And we're a new creature in Christ, the Bible says. And Romans 12 would say, we become ourselves a living sacrifice. Here's a beautiful part. What did God do after that? He said, I'm not ever going to do this again. Put a bow in the cloud, Right? Meaning, what? Never going to judge this way, this fashion again. Guess what? If you're in Christ, God's never going to bring your sins up again. They're gone. They're done. They're forever gone. To those that be in Christ, sin has been judged. It's a When you look at that bow in the cloud, as surely as God made that covenant promise with Noah, the earth would never be destroyed by flood. You can rest assured your sins, not one of them, will ever come up again. It's done. It's a done deal. Let's conclude. The ark was the only hope, right? In Noah's day, Christ has always been the only hope. He is the only hope. There is no hope outside of Christ. If you weren't on that ark, you perished. If you're outside of Christ today, you will perish in your sins. You will perish. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What do you think he preached? You think he preached a warning about the flood? I believe he did. He couldn't have been a preacher of righteousness if he hadn't. Did he preach God as as he knew God? Absolutely. Did he preach what he knew about God and what God told him? Absolutely. I guess every preacher probably feels like a Noah, you know, at some point in time. Noah was a witness against his generation even though nobody believed him, did they? It's very sad. But the bottom line is, and I don't have time to read it, it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, God did spare the angels of sin. God didn't spare the old world. He brought the judgment. The Bible tells us God is bringing judgment again. He will judge every human being. He will judge you, whoever you are, wherever you are. According to your works, according to your sin. If you be outside of Christ, it's just going to be you and your sin. If you're in Christ, you're safe. Now I am going to read this scripture because it's the last thing I'm going to say today. When God's judgment comes... Will Christ be your ark? Will He be your light? Will He be your door? Will He be your hope? Will He be your only way? All those things we've rehearsed in this. Christ is a type. If not, you won't have hope. This is what it says. And if you're lost, this is what you should do. Hebrews eleven seven. 7, By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. If you're lost today, if you're in your sins, you're outside of Christ, which again, as we said, you're either in or you're out. If you're out, you can be in. If you're in, you would never be out. If you're out, I'm warning you today, On the authority of God's word. One day you're going to die. And the Bible says then. The judgment. That's it. When that happens. Your hopeless condition. Is hopeless. There's hope now. Because if you're living and breathing. And yet in your sins. You can like Noah here. Being warned. Do something. In fact, you're commanded to do something. If you don't believe what I just said about the judgment of coming and don't repent of it, then you're essentially saying, God, your are is not going to happen. You can tell me and say, preacher, you're lying. That don't amount to a hill of beans, really. Except that you're accusing God of lying if what I've said is true. Noah hurt Noah. This is what made Noah different from everybody else, by the way. And this is it. Noah was warned and Noah did something about it. By faith. Can you do something about your condition today? First thing he did was move with fear. He he believed it and it caused him to fear and tremble. Do you fear and tremble meeting God? And Moses moved. you know why he moved? you know why he went into action? Because he believed what God said. Do you believe what God said? The truth of the matter is, whether you do or you don't, it will be whether you act or you don't. That's a manifestation of whether you've got faith or not. Noah was obedient. The gospel says, repent and believe upon Christ for the remission of sins. If you confess, seek him if you need him god bless this to your here